Hello and good morning. Welcome to this podcast on corporate accountability. My name is Nico Heller and this is Reboot 2030, a democracy school initiative. My guest today is Bob Hingley. Bob is an accomplished corporate attorney and a dual Australian-American citizen. During the Obama administration, he was a posed GFC investigator and advisor to the U.S. Department of Justice. GFC stands for Great Financial Crisis. Recovering more than $65 billion from a dozen or so banks of illegal behavior, which led to the financial crisis of 2008. Bob is also the author of Time to Change Corporations, Closing the Citizenship Gap. More than 20 years ago, Bob proposed a code for corporate citizenship that would amend the existing duty of directors to act in the best interest of the corporation by adding the following words, but not at the expense of severe damage to the environment, human rights, public health and safety, dignity of employees, or the welfare of the communities in which the corporation operates. In this reboot dialogue, we focus on the role the law plays in both enabling and legitimizing corporations to cause severe harm to the environment and how the proposed code for corporate citizenship would put an end to that. I can see that Bob is already here, so let me let me invite him in. Bob, good evening, or should I say good morning? Good evening, good morning. Nico. Good evening, how are you? <laughs> I'm well, mate. I have already uh, introduced you very briefly, so let's kind of dig straight in, Bob. Um, could you could we start? I mean, today really is about looking at one aspect of your uh, code for corporate citizenship, and that is, uh, you know, how it could somehow tame, if you like, corporations uh, with regards to the kind of environmental damage they cause. Um, so maybe we start. If you could give us a very sort of a very brief sort of uh, sort of rundown on uh, sort of a corporate history, if you like, on corporate governance. Um, and also where the, uh, the code for competitionship come, comes into this, just to get some, some context for, for our discussion. Sure. Um, I think we should probably start um, with the understanding that government um, governs corporations the same way it governs people. In a democracy, people can do anything that isn't illegal. And when I say illegal, I mean pursuant to a law passed by uh, the government saying that this behavior is prohibited. Now, the same is true for corporations, okay? But what's happened is that corporations have changed over the last 150 years. They've become much bigger. Um, They employ tens of thousands of people in some cases. Um, They're backed by billions of dollars worth of capital. And they um, uh, have the ability to do much more damage to the environment than any human being could possibly do in a hundred lifetimes. They um, have the ability to cause... um, uh, to they, they continually emit greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And as we all know, this is causing a serious problem for the planet and for the people on it. And for and when corporations were first conceived, okay, um, everybody realized that government would now have to regulate them as well as people. But they didn't really see the difference between corporations then and people then. Corporations were much smaller. They, were mo- they operated mostly locally as opposed to globally. Um, they didn't have significant ability to damage the environment back then or any other element of the public interest that anybody at least was concerned about. About, and that worked fine for a while. Okay, Um, uh, and but it no longer works because basically of all the 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 significant damage that they're able to do. And here's the point. Government seems 
unable to stop them from continuing. Um, when a person creates a problem or several people create a problem with their behavior, government has very little problem passing laws telling them to stop. But that's not the truth. That's not the same with regard to corporations. Um, corporations um, have, as we all know, have built up tremendous political power. And so we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, we've had 27 conferences of the parties. We're having our 28th later this month in early December, uh, where all the nations of the world got together and they said, you know, the emission of greenhouse gases is a significant problem and we have to do something about it. And all the delegates pledged that they would go back to their home countries and try to do something about it. But we're up to 28 now, and they haven't been able to do anything in terms of stopping this problem. Um, and, 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 and part of the reason is, like I said, corporations have built up incredible uh, political capital uh, that allows them to keep government from regulating them. Can I just... Uh, can, can yep. you for one second? Um, just for the benefit of, of our viewers, there's sort of two thoughts in the back of our mind here. Uh, you know, um, one is is just to say governments can't do anything about it. Um, of course, government governments are, if you like, uh, you know, uh, run by elected politicians in in our democracies. So, mm -hmm. you know, by extension, you're presumably saying that politicians can't do anything about it. Um, now, um, there's two things about it. One is, is I think there is sort of the cynic view that would sort of say, well, they don't want to do anything about it because they've all got their golden parachutes and once they leave politics, they'll be kind of turning some board of some company somewhere. And so they don't want to mess up that relationship. That's one thing. So um, I think it's quite important to distinguish between not being able to and not wanting to. That's one thing. I mean, you might be able to say a few words about this. Um, well, I, yeah, I, and, and I will. And, and, and you're right about that. It's a case of they won't um, uh, for various reasons. Um, uh, they sometimes companies that are causing tremendous damage to the public interest are are creating the damage elsewhere. But in their home jurisdiction, they're creating jobs. And so politicians become very reticent to. Um, regulate uh, the corporations as creating local jobs, even though it may be creating a problem elsewhere. But the problem, but you, you're right. It's, it's not so much that they can't. They're unable to bring themselves to is a better way to put it. And, and this isn't a small problem. I mean, we, this has gone on for years and corporations have gotten stronger politically than ever before. So this creates a problem, okay? Because corporations that are causing severe harm to the environment can't be stopped. And, and that, that is obvious to everyone now. When I first started talking about the Code for Corporate Citizenship, um, uh, it was sort of a, a, a radical idea, the fact that companies should operate in a manner that doesn't destroy the public interest or doesn't harm the public interest. And at that time, corporate so social responsibility movement was very small. Um, it was preaching mostly to the converted. Um, socially responsible investing um, uh consisted of a few mutual funds in New York uh, that invested for socially con conscious people, um, but they didn't total $10 billion in total. Um, we'd had a few cops at that point, uh, conferences of the parties, but they really hadn't gone that far. Um, this was back before the year 2000, actually. Well, today, times have changed. That sort of idea isn't very radical anymore. Um, people generally believe that corporations should behave themselves. They, couldn't, they shouldn't be out there destroying their environment or seriously damaging other elements of the public interest. Can I come in but here still, once can I come in here once more? Because there's a sort of a follow-on yeah. question to my last question here. So, so you're absolutely right. Politicians are like really sort of corporate in a rock and a hard place. If they want to be re-elected, 
they obviously have to somehow maneuver the kind of the strategies of corporations who will find ways of playing the markets and, you know, like, you know, the big bazooka, like we're going to lose all these jobs um, to basically continue business uh, as usual. But there's another aspect. And so, of course, your, your code for corporate citizenship in a way would take that decision away from politicians. It would kind of create a sort of a, a new baseline that wouldn't be up for discussion. Uh, so so that's, that in a way actually would be in the interest of politicians because they wouldn't have to stick their, their neck out because it would it would be regulated by law. But there's another aspect to this, and this is to do with to the causal relationships. You know, if, if a company is caught polluting a river, um, then of course we have got all the instruments to sue that company because the causal relationship is very clear. You know, they put whatever kind of stuff into the river and it's polluted it, all this fish died. The corporation is responsible. However, when you're talking about severe damage, the causal link isn't always as easily established. I mean, take climate change. Um, you know, like, yes, all the CO2... Climate change is the exception I'm after, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, but, but I'm, no, this is, a, this is a point worth discussing, isn't it? Because I'm, you know, and, and, and I think, I'm sure you have an answer to this, but the, it's, it's an important distinction here between laws that kind of, in a way, are dealing with specific infringements, like polluting a river, uh, like, uh, you know, kind of going above a certain limit or doing this, that, or the other. Uh, and, and, and we have kind of a fairly established and mature sort of legal systems uh, to deal with this. What you're talking about is something else. It's the sort of the things that fall through the cracks. You know, it's like CO2 pollution. I mean, how exactly would you blame a specific company for the severe damage that CO2 causes? Well, well, before we get there, let's just explore a little bit why the type of environmental laws you were referring to to protect the river, um, uh, to limit the amount of um, a certain toxic chemical that can be emitted, why government can regulate those things, but it isn't able to get corporations to knuckle under with regard to greenhouse gas emissions, because that's really what we're talking about. That's right. Um, the answer to that is, and it has to do with the corporate law. The corporate law says that directors have a duty to act in their company's best interest. Full stop. Um, you can also say they have a duty to obey the law, the various environmental laws. Generally speaking, Obeying an environmental law, like the ones you talk about protecting a particular river, are not big dollar items for corporations. There's, they, they don't have, um, it isn't going to cost them that much to comply with the law. To tell you the truth, if it is going to cost them too much to comply with the law, they'll scream like hell until the, um, uh, the law is, is uh tamed, made, made more lax so that they can do what they need to do. But when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, you have to think about where those things come from. Greenhouse gas emissions come from, among other places, but in terms of the corporate world, big um, power companies that are burning fossil fuels, motor vehicle companies, which are producing um, uh, internal combustion engine powered uh, uh, vehicles uh, that consume fossil fuels, um, corporate agriculture, and this is just, this is this, these are three pretty good examples. And in each of those instances, the companies involved, they don't have a little bit involved in this business. They have billions of dollars involved in this business, and changing their business to no longer emit greenhouse gases would cause them a lot of money. And it's very hard for a director of one of those companies who's responsible, who's, who's uh, supposed to act in the company's best interest to just walk away from those investments. Um, and, and so this is where the corporate law works against democracy and it works um, uh, in a way that keeps government from being able to effectively regulate. Um, uh, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, corporations are 
artif- they're inventions of human beings. They're inventions of legislatures, actually, which pass the corporate law and say, if you do this, then we will recognize you as a corporation. And we want your corporation to be run by the directors, and the director's duty is just to act in the best interests of the corporation. So even if the company is now, and, and let, let me just say this, companies that find themselves in the, this position, they didn't start out saying, well, we're just going to emit a whole bunch of greenhouse gases and not worry about it, even though we know about this problem. They got started in business decades ago. Greenhouse gas emissions and their effect on the environment weren't discovered until much later. And by that time, the companies already had billions invested. So it's it it. So they're not they're not entirely innocent. I'm not trying to say that. But the problem is that they continue. It's not that they once did, but it's the problem is the government can't make them stop. And they can't make them stop. In fact, they do the opposite. They encourage directors to continue because that's the way they act in their company's best interests. It's the only way. The only other thing would be to shut down a plant that might be there or several plants that, they're, that are their major operating assets. Um, uh, um, so that involves writing off billions of dollars. That's not something they're going to do voluntarily. And that's why corporate social responsibility doesn't work, why social responsible investing doesn't work, why the cops haven't worked, um, because, because they all rely more or less on, on corporations voluntarily walking away from these huge investments. It's interesting. I mean, I'm still trying to kind of, in a way have a sort of a mental model of where this idea of severe harm comes in and, you know, so, so to understand better, you know, you know, where your kind of your legal provision would come in. So um, one way of thinking about it in, say, t- in economics is the distinction between macro and microeconomics. You know, microeconomics is the sphere of the individual company of, you know, of, and so on and so forth. And macro is, is like, if you like, of an economy as a whole. So like macroeconomic measures are very different from microeconomic measures or company strategy um, or corporate strategy. So what you're sort of saying is at the micro level, the individual river, the individual power plant, the individual this, we have regulations and this is a constant process of, you know, improving that. And this has been going on for a long time. And the more political pressure builds up, the more, you know, the the denser uh, this mesh of sort of micro legal uh, 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 provisions against. What you're talking about is a macro level, the equivalent to the kind of the macroeconomic sphere, where you're sort of saying, well, this isn't actually just damaging one river or damaging one local community, but this is actually damaging, you know, you probably would go as far as saying damaging mankind, damaging the planet in its fundamental, if you like, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of existential uh, estate. Um, is, is that a fair distinction to sort of think about macro? That, that, that's, and micro? A, that's, a, that's a very good distinction. Um, uh, more or less, business regulation, environmental laws, workplace safety laws, um, other laws that regulate business, they regulate, they keep a lid on most damage companies caused to the public interest. But when it comes to something like greenhouse gas emissions, or for argument's sake, an industry that kills 8 million people a year through the mass manufacture and marketing of tobacco, for instance, governments haven't been able to stop this. And so that leaves you with one alternative. If there are things out there that gov- that are harming the public interest severely, and we'll get to that in a minute about what exactly what I mean, um, that government can't stop. There's only one alternative, and that is to prohibit directors from being in that business from the beginning of, from the day they are organized. And, and, and for those companies that are out there now that were organized decades ago, it, it's, a, it's a statement that has to be made to say this behavior is no longer acceptable, and you are to make it stop. It's a new duty. 
The new duty is you will act in the best interest of your shareholders and company, but not at the expense of severe damage to the environment. Now, the question then becomes, what is severe damage? And to that, I always like to use the example of the U.S. Supreme Court when asked to define what pornography is. And some justice said, well, I know it when I see it. And all I can say is, can anybody really argue these days that global warming and climate change aren't severe damage to the environment, which are caused by the emission of greenhouse gases? We all know it has to stop, but we haven't been able to stop, make it stop. Now, the thing about putting this change in the corporate law, yes, every jurisdiction has its own corporate law, but more or less, they all say the same thing. Directors should act in the best interest of the company. And what the Code for Corporate Citizenship says is that we should add 11 words to that, but not at the expense of severe damage to the environment. So in other words, what happens is when a corporation gets formed, its directors know that they have to work for the best interest of the company, but they also know that there's limits on that, that, that they, um, those limits are that when the company gets found causing severe harm, like what's happening with the emission of greenhouse gases and climate change, they're going to be forced to stop. And if they got a big investment in that, well, that's just tough luck. The law takes over there and says, now your duty is to protect the public interest. And, and when you think about it, that sounds, that, that sounds um, maybe a little radical, but why should companies that are invented and live according to a license provided by state government or government not be restricted when it comes to causing severe harm to the environment. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's really uh, pretty simple, I think. You know, um, there's a couple of industries. No human being can do that. There, there's a couple of industries that, you know, that, that have only really come into their own um, in the 20th century or more, more recently even with uh, artificial intelligence in the 21st century. I'm thinking specifically nuclear power back in the 20th century and then, of course, now uh, uh, AI, uh, artificial intelligence, just now. Um, in both of those instances, you know, you know, like the world, you know, the powers to be uh, realized and recognized that, that these that these technologies that you know that these industries have the potential to cause severe harm uh in in, in different ways i mean nuclear power through you know atomic bombs and so on and so forth and of course with uh, you know ai you know i'm sure you're following the debate as well all the kind of the damage that that can cause potentially uh, uh, uh not, not only in in terms of like you know, sort of ai enabled warfare but of course also in terms of fake news and you know deep fakes and this and the other so we we kind of know that severe damage uh, that these uh, technologies these industries can cause and we have intuitively with nuclear power and now again with ai there, there are kind of broad conditions forming and have formed in the past to limit uh, the damage uh, that these um, technologies, these industries may cause. Now, this was a sector by sector approach. So, you know, like the, the nuclear industry was, you know, was about nuclear. Uh, the, the AI industry is about AI. And what you sort of saying is, is we have to move from a sort of a sector kind of sectorial kind of approach to a fundamental reassessment of what companies are allowed to do. Is, is that is that right? That's exactly right. Um the law is always behind developments in technology. The technology comes along. Every, at some point in time, we find out, oh, my God, look at the damage this is doing. There ought to be a law. And that's when um, politicians and government uh, get to work at trying to find a way to regulate. 
The missing point is that, you know, greenhouse gases, didn't, they've been building up for years. And companies in the fossil fuel industry, companies uh, that are generating the greenhouse gases, they've known for a long time that this was going to be a problem. Wouldn't it have been better if their directors early on had a duty to protect the public interest from severe harm, to protect the environment from severe harm? Wouldn't that have made them more cautious with where they invested their company's dollars in terms of new power plants, um, fossil fuels versus renewables? I, I think it would have. Um, uh, so again, I'll go back to tobacco. I mean, the tobacco companies knew long before everyone else that they were killing people. Um, uh, in my experience, most directors of big companies are good citizens of themselves. Some of them are pillars of the community. And they get put in a position where they're told they only have to represent the company's interests. Not they only have to, but that's all they should do. Um, if there was a caveat to that from the beginning that said, but not at the expense of severe damage to the environment, uh, the public health and safety or other elements of the public interest, they would make them a lot more cautious in their business dealings. And I think that is a very good thing. And I, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure that the, the, the system that we now have of corporate law and capitalism and democracy works without these, this safeguard that I'm talking about, the Code for Corporate Citizenship. Because we find ourselves in a position right now where there's an existential problem building out there, and, and we can't stop it. We, we've had all the brightest people in the world get together 27 times, and they haven't been able to stop it. Um, they've been interfered with. Yeah, there's been a lot of misinformation generated by the fossil fuel industry that's kept them from seeing this. So, so we haven't been able to negotiate business regulations to keep it from happening. Another so, question. Yeah, but a question. So, so when we're talking about severe, severe harm, um, mm -hmm. take, take CO2 emissions, carbon emissions. Like say mm -hmm. a company like like a, a major whatever oil kind of refinery producer whatever you know emits huge quantities of CO two, but at the same time basically invests huge quantities, vast amount of money in carbon capture technology, so that it can make the business case to say, well, yes, of course we are emitting these CO two uh, carbon into the atmosphere here, but over here we're capturing it. Uh, would that emission still be severe harm or would you look at a net calculation like offset against sort of mitigating? Definitely measures? not a net calculation. The question is, are they emitting significant quantities of greenhouse gases that are not being captured and are contributed to climate change and global warming? Uh, you don't get credit for uh, planting trees. You don't get credit for... Isn't, Other, it, isn't, a bit like, Bob, isn't it a bit like you shoot somebody in the leg and then take him to a doctor to get it fixed and say, well, it's fixed. You know, I took him to the doctor. It's not a bit like that with sort of. Well, it is like that. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not an argument that we should uh, that anybody should uh, give too much credence to. But it's, but it, it's uh, very heavily pushed, especially at the moment or coming up uh, at the uh, COP28 uh, in, in Dubai uh, this year, because this is exactly what this is going to be about, about mitigating measures such as carbon capture. Uh, yes. The cops have gone from, how do we stop these guys from doing this? They've given up on that. The last cop was about, how do we compensate underdeveloped, lesser developed countries that are going to bear the brunt uh, first of uh, global warming and climate change? And now this one is, gonna, they're going to talk about things like um, uh, uh, programs of carbon trading, carbon taxes, carbon offsets. Um, they, they're, they've given up. And, um, and, and the fact that they've given up, well, you have to start thinking, well, why is mankind being held subject to the 
profit motive of these big companies. When we, we, our governments, gave these companies life, they provide them with a license to operate. We shouldn't give any company a license to operate that's going to cause severe damage to the environment. It's that simple. What, what I wonder, uh, Bob, and I have, obviously, you're in a much better position to kind of to think about this, and I'm not even sure whether you could give a, a direct answer to this right now, but I think it's worth contemplating. If I, I give you an example, um, if I'm aware that my neighbor is causing severe damage, and I do not do anything about it, even though I would have a remedy to prevent that or from stop that, a, a legal remedy to do that, would I be negligent? Would I in some ways be seen before the law is complicit in this? In other words, what, what you're saying is, is, is through the Code of Corporate Citizenship, we have a clear avenue, we have got a clear remedy to put a stop to this, but we're not doing it. And the question is, um, is this in itself actually a case of negligence or is this just, just you know, the way politics... No, I, I don't think it's a case of negligence. Uh, Winston Churchill once said of, um, of uh, Americans, but I'll say he's, it, it applies to all democracies, and he says they'll always do the right thing after they've tried everything else. Well, you know, this, this problem came to light about, well, probably... 30 years ago, people started, really started talking about it. And so we've had 28 cops, okay? The cops didn't solve it. We've had corporate social responsibility evolve into ESG. Every business school in the world teaches ESG these days. Every major corporation has an ESG department. It didn't solve the problem. The the stockbrokers and investment bankers came along and they said, well, we have a way to fix it. We're calling it socially responsible investing. And we'll provide money to get people to, to do the right thing when it comes to the environment. It was nothing 30 years ago. Today, they brag that it's over $30 trillion is under socially responsible management. They haven't come close to solving the problem. Um, it's not going to get fixed by encouraging companies to do the right thing, asking them politely, begging them to do the right thing. They have to be told. And the way to tell them is you no longer have the right to cause severe damage to the environment. And we're putting your directors in charge and responsible for making sure that doesn't happen. In, in a previous talk, and I, I saw the video of it, you're actually uh, saying that through the, the, the law as it stands today, the corporate law as it stands today, um, governments uh, are not actually just al allowing this to go ahead, you know, but they are actually legitimizing. Um, you know, and legitimizing is a really potent word in this, in, in, in this case because they are legitimizing essentially the extinction of life on this planet um now um <laughs> I, I don't usually use the word legitimizing i usually say justify um or excuse but legitimizing is just as good a word as would you well when I I can, if, if i can refer to it and say i'm acting within the law uh, then clearly Not, that is le legitimizing my it, it, it you know but it's worse than that i'm not acting within the law I'm doing what the law now tells me to do. That's, that's exactly this is why it's legitimizing. So the exactly. law has to be changed so it tells them to do something different. Exactly. So so if so so how are going how 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 are future generations are going to look back on this period uh, in time uh, when there have been clear proposals on the table to change the law so that we not no longer legitimize but in fact prevent severe harm from taking place, but we're not doing it. How will future well, generations... Well, I, I, let's hope there are future generations, but I won't, I won't appear to be that... I will try not to appear to be that alarmist. But it isn't like... People aren't trying to do something about the problem. I mean... Those, those three examples I just used. There's also a, a movement called the B Corporation, which allows directors to not only pursue profits for shareholders, but requires them to have some sort of social benefit. 
Now, these companies, they're very small companies. As far as I know, there's no big oil companies or big power producing uh, fossil fuel burning companies or motor vehicle companies that are that are in that are that are big corporations. But, you know, there's lots of people trying to um, get companies to do the right thing. To, to, you know, it's not like we haven't had 28, 27 cops. OK, uh, you know, we've got presidents come prime ministers come uh uh dictators come they all come and they say they're going to do something when they go home they don't do anything but they don't know what to do okay the code for corporate citizenship has not had that much airtime because you know there's a lot of people saying well maybe we don't have to go that far maybe we uh maybe we should try this and and i and, and without denigrating their efforts too much, there's often people that are making lots of money in these industries, ESG, socially responsible investing, uh, going to fancy meetings all over the world once a year. Um, uh, but they're not solving the problem. You know, uh, think of it this way. Think of all the environmental organizations out there formed to fight greenhouse gas emissions. They, they haven't solved the problem. They haven't got together and said, hey, this is a global problem. How do we really solve it? Because what we're doing isn't working. Um, Another question, uh, Bob, sort of an ethical question, if you like. Um, from a consumer perspective, um, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that you have a car as well. Um, so, you know, how dare you? tell the oil majors to stop causing severe harm whilst you're happily driving your motor car around town. Um, you know, so... Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an argument. But I'll bet, what, you what invent, I'll bet you didn't invent that argument, Nico. I'll bet that came from the fossil fuel company. That's right. Okay. But what's the, your idea, the idea that people should go out and buy and not buy products that are causing this problem and and pay extra money for products that aren't won't cause the problem if there is enough if there's enough production to allow that uh, it, it's a, it, it's when you think about it it's sort of a silly argument okay people aren't causing global warming big corporations are causing global warming and only a very few big corporations I'll say I mean, the code for corporate citizenship would apply to all companies, but the number of companies that it would really apply to in terms of closing down the emission of significant quantities of greenhouse gases is probably less than 200 worldwide. That is a, an infinitesimal proportion of total corporations out there. All, of the, all corporations would then, if the code were passed, would become more careful, and that would be a good thing. Uh, but the ones that would really affect are just the big fossil fuel producers and um, uh, you know, the companies that are, that are actually burning the fossil fuels and creating the emissions. And when you think about that, you know, it isn't like they don't see the handwriting on the wall. They're playing a game right now to try to stretch out as long as possible these plants that they have invested in and not have to write them off and tell the shareholders that uh, they've lost a lot of money. Um, but they've seen that, they know the handwriting is on the wall. Um, and, it's, it, it, and it isn't like there isn't alternative technology out there. We all know that there are electric vehicles and they're getting better and cheaper all the time. We all know, especially in a country like Australia, how much renewable energy there is that's being created to replace fossil fuels. Now, the transition, unless it's well-structured, will cause some hiccups along the way. But it isn't going to be long before um, uh, solar and wind and battery power uh, and other forms of alternative energy replace um, uh, fossil fuel burning power plants. Um, re, uh, it isn't going to be long before big 
auto manufacturers stop producing motor vehicles that cause uh, the emission of greenhouse gases. It's going to happen. The question is, are we going to let them dictate the timetable or should we? But even above all that, even above all that, think about this. When corporations were first invented, there were, there were safeguards in the corporate law or their corporate charter that said they could not cause severe damage to the public interest. Okay, They were prohibited from doing that. And then in about the 1870s, 80s, and 90s, the Industrial Revolution took, started to get traction, and companies wanted... Uh, more leeway in how they ran their businesses. And Delaware was one of the first states to change. Um, and they said, well, we're going to take out this bit about how uh, you have to protect the public interest as well as um, act on the best interest of shareholders. We're going to cut it back to just act on the best interest of shareholders. Well, in 1870, 80, and 90, that wasn't that big a problem. Companies were smaller. They didn't act globally, um, and they didn't cause the damage then that they do today. Um, so what I'm really suggesting is it's actually, it goes back in time to say, henceforth, corporations, corporate directors should have a duty to see that their company no longer causes severe harm to the environment and the other elements of the public interest. I mean, the CO2 in a way is a, is a kind of an easy example because we all know that CO2 emissions are bad. And so we don't have to calibrate that. We just know that if you're producing loads, it's very bad. And if you're producing little, it's just it's still bad. But I mean, take, you know, instead of an agribusiness, I mean, specifically deforestation. <coughs> Cutting down a tree in itself isn't bad, yeah? Because, I mean, you know, we all have to, in a way, I mean, forestry builds around this idea of cutting down this tree and let, letting that tree grow. Now, so cutting down a tree isn't as bad as, you know, you know, like the equivalent putting out CO2. But of course, if you're cutting down loads of trees and it becomes deforestation and at, at a macro level, it has a significant, like take the Amazon, for example, a significant impact on, on the climate. So, so if a business is in, 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 in the basis of creating agricultural kind of like, like fields for agricultural use. Um, at what point is, is this becoming severe harm? Uh, I'll make it simple. I'll make it simple. There is no reason why at the time you pass the code, you pass a list. You also enact a law which describes what you're talking about in terms of business that are causing severe harm. And number one on that list would be the emission of significant county, uh, quantities of greenhouse gases. So you're not talking about companies burning down for leveling forests and not regenerating them. You're, you're really talking about one thing. Um, and that's the thing that they're all meeting in Dubai to try to fix for what it's worth. Um, uh, and over time, that list could be added to. Um, I, for one, would put tobacco on it. Um, I think that, that we're a long ways from this, but a lot of developments in social media, AI, you know, they someday may run into this problem. I don't think we're there yet, but they may. And, and the fact that they may run into this problem of going on the list um, is going to cause them and cause their directors every time a major investment is made, when the management comes in and presents the proposal, they're going to check more than what's the internal rate of return on this project. They're going to say, and what's the effect on the environment, on the public health and safety? What's the effect on the well-being of our communities and the dignity of our employees? And those are good questions for directors to always be asking, and I think it should be part of the law. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like, for example, say, say you run, say you are a farmer, a family farmer, you run a family farming business, like say a dairy farming business. You've got like 250 cows uh, and that, that, that gives you a good income. Um, it's not super, you know, but it's a good income and your family has lived on that for generations. Now, um, of course, these cows, being a dairy farming business, will emit, you know, significant 
quantities of CO2. No, of course, no, no, not your 250 cows. They're not yeah. going to. No, well, 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 I mean, they, they, they would emit more than if you would grow potatoes. Yeah. So, um, so you no, like, but that's not the test. That's not the test. Is it more damage? Do they cause more damage than potatoes? It's do they cause severe damage to the environment? And 250 cows don't. I mean, I, I heard the other night at a dinner party, actually. Well, I don't want to not be able to have hamburgers. Well, nobody's saying anything about stopping meat production. Um, but I'll tell you what, I would imagine that if the, if the code were passed, people in the meat production business would start looking at ways that they could reduce their own greenhouse gas emissions so they didn't someday get in the same pickle that the fossil fuel companies and the motor vehicle companies are in. I think one way of kind of like kind of getting one's but, head but, but 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 then again, it doesn't apply to the to the sole dairy farmer. Uh, one one even way of, he accidentally... that's right. I mean, one way I think of getting one's head around this is if we go back to this macro and micro example economics. So I mean, if you look at anti-competitive behavior. I mean, every small corner shop is in some ways anti-competitive because they want to survive and it's it's fair game. Yeah, we all do whatever we can to kind of capture our audience. But that's very, very different from, say, an Amazon uh, or like, say, a, you know, like a really kind of a... a uh, that's a good analogy, Nico. I, I like that analogy. I like Yeah, that. So, so there is a kind of... When you think I said, about... When it comes to greenhouse gases, it's probably going to apply to 200 companies worldwide. Or fewer, even. Yeah. yeah. Even maybe even fewer. So, uh, so, I, th um, so I think it's and, like and, the and when that happens, those companies are going to say, well, the day that we were hoping to put off to 2050 or 2035 has arrived. What do we do now? Well, they're going to find ways to operate their business that doesn't emit greenhouse gases. I mean, for 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 the power producers and the motor vehicle companies, you know, that's we're a long ways down the track to developing that, those sorts of technologies. And they're going and that's going to create an incredible incentive for capitalism and venture capital to help develop new technologies to help these companies get out of their pickle, as I say. Um, so it's it's interesting. So, so I mean, I mean, when 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 we are regulating to essentially guarantee competition and fair play in a market, uh, we know we're not concerned about the corner shop, but we're basically interested about market makers, about the people whose behavior can shift the behavior of prices, can shift the behavior no, of. You're, you're absolutely allocation. right. That's a very good. That's a very good analogy. And, and every every corporate lawyer understands that distinction. You know, so it's very very clear what is a market shifting or a severe harm in your example, and what is a kind of a, a corner shop kind of doing what any corner shop would do. And I think this is you know, and and the other thing is of course no. Well, I always I I always say significant quantities of greenhouse gases. If you wanted to. Your companion legislation that says we mean you, fossil fuel companies and power producers and motor vehicle companies, you could put a limit on it. You could say that emit more than so many tons per year of uh, of, of of greenhouse gases or whatever, however they're measured. Um, it's uh, uh, you 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 could you could get you could get that specific. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't. The problem is the more specific you get, the more sort of workarounds you create, don't you? Because absolutely right, and that's why I don't want to get specific. Because by not being specific, you create a risk for directors. The risk is they're going to get caught out, and it's going to cost them a lot of money down the road. So that's a risk they now have to monitor, which right now they're really not monitoring. Okay, they're not careful. They're not cautious. They uh, they don't use the precautionary principle. They they want to know what the internal rate of return is and how much they're going to be able to pay shareholders and dividends as a result of that next year. They need they need their job needs to become a little bit tougher, not a lot tougher, but tougher in that they realize that not only are they. Um, uh, directors for their shareholders and their company, but they're also run major businesses 
that have an effect on the public interest and they should not be causing the public interest severe harm because they operate under a social license. If they didn't have a charter granted by the state, they wouldn't be able to run the business that they run. Um, so um, they owe their, their very existence to um, uh, the people, to uh, the citizens of the various countries, and they shouldn't be causing them severe harm. They shouldn't be killing them, okay? Um, that's got to stop. And, and, and once we start thinking about uh, putting limits on corporate behavior that causes severe harm, this will be a much better world because you directors, know, the tech, directors will take that job seriously. You know, in, in your kind of, in your sort of previous kind of account of sort of corporate governance history, uh, you give this example of sort of the kind of the race to the bottom and where Delaware in the U.S. essentially became the least regulated and ultimately then the, the standard for corporate law. Um, you know, and that there was a time when, when there was, when corporate, you know, when corporations were more regulated and then there was this kind of race to the bottom to free them and free them and so on until they basically had what we have today. Correct, correct. How, how would and, you prevent, let me just say, how would you prevent corporations, say if Australia were to bring in that kind of corporate duty, how would we prevent uh, these corporations just to move to New Zealand? Um, I'll answer that in just a second. I, I, I want to say that Delaware was one of the states that went first and eliminated any duty to the public interest. But once they did, they made it a requirement for every other state, if they wanted to get companies to incorporate in their jurisdiction, to also eliminate it. That's why they call it the race to the bottom. I think the code will actually start a race to the top. How because I think, well, let me, let me tell you, first of all, It's been, it's been polled a number of times, but c people, consumers, customers want the companies to be socially responsible. They don't want them to be causing severe harm, damage to the environment. They don't want them to be causing severe harm to their communities. Um, and, and companies see this. This is, this is what happened in, in, in Business Week ran a poll in 2000 and it said, which do you agree with more strongly? Companies should all be about maximizing profits for shareholders. And if, that, if they do that, everything will be best for the U.S. economy. Or companies should sometimes sacrifice profits uh, for the benefit of the environment, employees, and the communities in which they operate. And at that time, there really wasn't any corporate social responsibility movement. There wasn't any socially responsible investing. Um, there was no ESG, and surprisingly, 95% said they agreed with the second statement, that they wanted companies to sometimes sacrifice so as not to cause severe harm to, to the environment. So if the code makes it into law, if people stand up and say at the next election, what is your position on the code for corporate citizenship? Are you for it or against it? I think it's going to be very hard for a politician to say he's against it. Um, and I hope if he does, he won't get reelected. Um, but but when 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 corporate social, when, when that poll, that poll was sort of a, a watershed in that because corporations started to realize, hey, these are our customers. We have to take care of them. And, you know, in those days, the American Business Roundtable, their position was corporations are all about making money for shareholders. The American Business Roundtable is a is a an organization of 200 CEOs of America's largest companies. And they said that's what it was. 1996, they issued a statement. Our job is just to make money for shareholders. Well, in 2019, 182 of those 200 said, well, we think that companies should also consider the interest of other stakeholders, specifically the environment, employees, and the communities in which they operate. Um, the, the world has moved. The law has not moved with it yet. 
Um, but I think if you have a debate on the issue as to whether or not corporations should have a duty to protect the environment from severe harm, you're going to win that debate. And the beauty of changing the corporate law is it's the same in every jurisdiction. This isn't like we have to have um, uh, a different argument every place we want to pass a law. The law is the same. And, and changing it to say corporations have a duty to protect the environment from severe harm, I don't think it's too big of an ask. And I don't think you'll have a situation, which was, was your original question, where Panama, Liberia, um, and the Turks and Caicos Islands or something decide, well, come here and incorporate. Corporations aren't going to go change their origin, their, their, their jurisdiction of incorporation to avoid the code. And if they did, jurisdictions like the United States, like Europe, like Australia, New Zealand, they have the ability to keep companies that don't haven't adopted from countries that haven't adopted the code from operating within their company, their jurisdiction. They're not going to do it because their customers want it. And for them, it's just a new rule. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's going to make their business more expensive for a while until they find ways to reduce the externalized cost. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't think we have, to, I, I think it'll generate a race to the top, not a race to the bottom or, or a situation where, com where countries seek to take advantage by not passing the code. Uh, um, I mean, I, I can see. Uh, by, in, in that regard, I'll say, I'll say that Europe, as you may know, European Parliament passed something uh, very similar, asking the European executive to have the corporate law changed in their, in their member states' jurisdictions. It didn't get through, but I mean, we're already, you know, it's a case of we try everything else and we are they, are and, and the dial moves. Are, are they, I mean, I, I think all the arguments against adding that, 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 that provision uh, to corporate law have to do with the cost of transition. So the argument will be, oh, but, you know, we haven't got enough electric cars today to, you know, to basically make the switch uh, straight away. Oh, we don't have this. Oh, so there is a kind of a transitional argument, uh, which actually is probably very hard to combat. Now, what about this? Um, if Are there any kind of legal precedents where a law has a face-in, uh, kind of a face-in kind of situation where you'd say, uh, you know, within, you know, by the year 2030 or by the year 2035, you know, so, so, so that companies are given some, you know, lead-in time to comply? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what are we talking about tonight? We're, today, we're talking about whether it's going to be 2035 or 2050 before we get out of uh, uh, the burning of fossil fuels. Um, you can't pass the Code of, for Corporate Citizenship on Tuesday and expect ExxonMobil or a big power company in Australia or Europe to stop burning fossil fuels on Wednesday. You're going to have to transition in. So there will be companion legislation that goes with the code. But the code itself, in its essence, is companies no longer have the right to, pat, to cause severe harm to the environment. And whether you phase that in over three, five, seven, or even 10 years, uh, we're going to be way ahead of having 10 more cops um, getting $30 trillion more under, in, in, under socially responsible management, um, uh, having uh, greater penetration of ESG. Those things won't work because they're voluntary and they go against the law that tells directors they're supposed now, here, to. Here's another else. thing. Now imagine, because we can turn this round, rather than sort of saying, oh, well, you guys need time, we can turn this argument around. Imagine we do this. Imagine you sort of say, you know, you basically promote a code with the specific uh, a kind of, uh, uh, you know, like addition uh, of a date when this would come into effect. So let's just for the sake of the argument, but this is obviously something that we would have to think really quite hard about and realistically about. But let's just for the sake of the argument, say 2030. Let's say we'd say by 2030, you know, uh, these kind of this provision, no severe harm uh, needs to be included. So, um, what that means, if this becomes a hard deadline, companies will very soon then start saying, but if we want to meet that, then you're going to have to help us in this, that, and the other way. All of a sudden, 
it would become an, an imperative, a corporate imperative to transition to meet that law. Um, and, and that would change the whole dynamic because now companies would innovate towards that deadline rather than innovate to push it out. Um, and um, that's a, that, that, that is a brilliant um, insight. And that is that, that is exactly right. And, and you know what? If they don't start to innovate and find solutions, what do you think is going to happen to the price of their shares on Wall Street? OK, because they'll see the problem coming. It'll be the first question uh, at every analyst meeting. How are you doing in terms of coming around to complying with the code for corporate citizenship? What are you doing to stop greenhouse gas emissions? It's uh, it's not it's just no going hypothetical. To be... It's no longer hypothetical. Yes. And it's not something that they'll be able to cover up with nice greenwashing language in their annual report. They'll have to really be doing something. And and that will spur new investment in new technologies, new companies um, uh, being formed um, uh, because they'll they'll find ways to generate electricity without burning fossil fuels. They'll find ways to power motor vehicles without burning fossil fuels. Um, and. Uh, and all that money that's in social responsible investing, some of it's going to go into developing solutions. So no, I, no, no, I, no, no. I have a sort of a, a proposal here, uh, Bob. I mean, you do have quite an extensive sort of network of supporters, of activists, but also still into the business community and, and other areas. How about thinking, if you like, a manifesto? Um, a short manifesto, nothing long, nothing flowery, but literally just enshrining this idea of a hard deadline for the code to come into effect so that we exactly push this argument that we've just discussed here. Um, because at the moment, you don't have that transition argument on your website. You don't have that as a very, as a core blanket of the argument. And I can see how any politician who wants to sort of to, to knock it down can just have this kind of you know bazooka saying but we're going to lose all these jobs so how about turning this right how about having a short manifesto and see how many signatories you know across the different areas from economics from science from the business community from politicians we can get to put their name behind this so that this deadline becomes a rallying cry for a whole new era of corporate law funny you should say that because actually we do have a manifesto. I haven't put it up on the website yet. Um, it's patterned after the U.S. Declaration of Independence. And what it basically, the reason I did that is because you want to portray the code as a clean break from the way things have been. As the founding fathers in America did in 1776. So first it lays out why we need this. And then it says what we expect to change. And what we expect to change is corporate behavior. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to make corporate directors responsible for making sure their company no longer foists severe damage on the environment and certain other elements of the public interest. Um, uh, so keep an eye out on the website. Uh, but what is important, though, is that you add to that a, a you know a, a, a hard and fast date by which that manifesto demands that code to come into action, and and then to basically start to solicit support for that because that would give it the momentum it needs. Otherwise, it just remains an aspiration. But if we're sort of saying, well, a ten-year window, a seven-year window, a fifteen-year window, whatever you might consider realistic. And whatever you think, you know, would maintain the momentum of your campaign. Um, if you were to include that, um, it would it would be very interesting because there's a whole bunch of legislation. I'm sold. I'm so I'm sold. I'm sold, Nico. I'll include it. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of legislation that actually, and obviously, you would want to look possibly look at that legislation that is coming into effect when motor cars are going to like. You know, like a, a fossil fuel-powered motor car. It, 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 there, there, there's no, there's no magic in the language. The language is what you want to put into the code. Basically, what you're saying is a transition period, beyond which date there is no more emission of significant quantities of greenhouse gases, and whether it's or severe harm to the environment. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so that, the, that's the, entirely, actual, that's, a, that's a very good idea. I but the actual like date that. is crucial. I mean, for example, I think in Europe, they're phasing out uh, petrol powered motor cars. I think it's in, you know, 2035 or whatever it is. There's a specific date. Uh, of course, you would want to harmonize your date with the, the, the kind of the maturity of that legislation so that you're not then basically have a situation. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you make a good, you, you, you make a good point there. Um, I, I, I think because, because the code will be passed in every jurisdiction. And so how it's not necessarily the case that the, uh, the member states of the EU will look at it the same way as the United States, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Um, and maybe in certain circumstances, those jurisdictions, uh, and the companies in those jurisdictions um, uh, uh, it's, it's important for some reason that it be delayed further than right. tomorrow. Okay. That's right. Um, but so that could be negotiated, but I wouldn't want to open the door too wide. No. So that, uh, the date went, you know, we're back talking 2000. No, 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 this because is exactly, that's, that's a balancing act, isn't it? It's kind of to basically, yeah. because that may then also help you know, other jurisdictions, like, for example, a sort of a European level jurisdiction to reassess and say, well, I mean, if like if the US, Australia and so on and so forth are buying into this code, maybe maybe Europe should as well. So you're absolutely right. There is a kind of a, 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 a sort of a, a, a sort of a sweet spot, you know, in a way. And you're just going to have to sort of figure out what that sweet spot is. Um, but I, I think to include an actual date by which that transition has to be complete, I think is really critically important because then it becomes real and the signatories are committed to that. And if it was to be signed into any legislation, it would mean that that government is not only committed to your code, but to all the legislation it is essentially bringing in in the interim to achieve that code. Um, so, so, so. Yes, um, absolutely. It, it, it would, it would. Um... It would set a boundary that would encourage governments to not only monitor, for instance, monitor progress towards the solution, uh, but also help companies develop ways right. to make the transition faster. I, right. I think that's right. Well, this has been a really good uh, dialogue again. Thank you ever so much. I, I always really I enjoy, enjoy talking, talking to with you. you. It, it, it's very insightful. Um, stay healthy, stay good, and let's continue this dialogue in the not-too-distant future. All right. Be my pleasure. Thank you very much, Bob. Have a good day, or good evening, I should say. Okay, you too. Good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>